Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. I'm so excited to introduce our first ever video course, the Creative Recovery Accelerator, or for ease, the CRA. What story do you tell yourself about your eating disorder? What feelings and emotions are you trying to avoid with your ED behaviors? How do you talk to your body? And what beliefs are you hanging on to to keep you where you are? The CRA will work on all ED and addictive behaviors. And wherever you are along your recovery journey, it will help you either stay on track, start or accelerate further. Make peace with yourself, shift your perspective and get well. I know how hard it is to let go of ED and addictive behaviors, which is why I've created the CRA, so we can help as many people as possible. Just visit lovethisfoodthing.com forward slash accelerator for all of the details. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm so delighted to be here with Jeanette Moore. Jeanette is a master certified coach and founder of Good Vibe Coaching and the Good Vibe University, which she created in 2005, post a highly successful corporate career. Jeanette describes herself as an official manifesting geek and was invited to appear on Oprah to share her manifesting methods. She's known for sharing practical real world methods for practicing conscious creation. Jeanette challenges belief systems, plays with energy and believes that anything is possible. She really does create life at an entirely new level. Jeanette lives in the mountains of Utah, creating magic, fostering animals and living the dream. Jeanette, welcome to This Food Thing. Love This Food Thing podcast. I keep getting the title wrong. (laughs) What's wrong with me? I'm delighted to be here with you, Gemma. Thanks for inviting me to play. Oh, my goodness. How is this falling apart? I'm falling apart. Um, What time is it with you? It's morning. Okay. (laughs) See, you're going to be at your absolute best and I'm slowly unraveling. You know what? That's thank you for giving me that boost of confidence. It's not too early for me. It's not. This is my prime time. <laughs> um, let's. You know, I I always think as as the seasons have progressed, I think should do should I do a bit more of an introduction or do I just dive in with our pivotal question, which is food friend or foe? And I think no, because explanations will come later. So let's let's dive in. How would you describe your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or as a foe? It is a friend now, but it has certainly been a foe in the past. In what way? Uh, In the typical way. I hate to say it, but my experience with food was really culturally programmed about how it was important that we find the healthy foods and that we not eat too much of it. And that in those rules changed continually depending on the latest study. So staying up on it was... It was something of, I won't say an obsession, but let's just say once upon a time, I considered a career as a nutritionist. <laughs> oh, did you? Because you knew so much I about did. food or because you were so yes. influenced? And I thought it was so important to get right. And it felt like there were so many people who weren't getting it right. And I wanted to be one who did get it right. And it felt like this was really pivotal to my health. And did- health is important. So Ah, uh, that message, yes. But also... Did that come just from your family and society? No, not even my family as much. It was society. Uh, My family didn't. My family was pretty relaxed about food. I picked this up externally from my family. Just, you know, being a woman in the world, in in our culture these days, it feels like it's easy to pick up some unhelpful things about food. And I certainly did. In fact, there once upon a time, I... I worked in a very small office with a handful yeah. of other women mm. and it, there was like five of us in the office and three of them had eating disorders. They were in recovery, but they were well familiar with eating disorders and suggested to me that I had one as well. And I, yes, at the time I really felt like they were projecting, but in hindsight, I realized Oh, they were just, they were kindly trying to wake me up to the fact that my relationship with food was probably not healthy. Were you a little bit controlling and obsessive about what you did and didn't eat and, 
constantly looking More at yourself and crit- okay okay so More you have you bit. have been there haven't you really? oh i've been there and in fact i i put one really fabulous relationship at risk because i kept <laughs> coaching him on what he should and shouldn't be eating and he said you're going to have to stop <laughs> so yeah so I know yes that. You know, it's much healthier. It is a friend now, but that took a lot of retraining to get to that place. Can you very briefly sum up how you retrained yourself? Yeah, well, I wish I retrained myself. I was retrained by studying what I understand about conscious creation and vibration and our role in this world and the energy of food and its role in our life. It was it was primarily through Abraham Hicks material, but there are a lot of teachers in manifesting world that helped me redefine my relationship, not just with food, but with so much in life. So take, take okay, let's just go back on the timeline to the point where, okay, so you discovered Abraham Hicks. Can you just explain who Abraham is or what, yes, what they Abraham, are? Yeah, Abraham is channeled by Esther Hicks, Mm. and uh, that was not my first introduction to conscious creation. It was actually, I I accidentally, how do you like that, read a book called How to Get Everything You Ever Wanted. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize what the book was when I picked it up. (laughs) Uh, Once I realized what it was, I felt pretty ridiculous for having bought it because it was woo-woo. It was all the sorts of stuff that I had no interest in. Okay. It felt really... mm, it, ridiculous is how it felt. But I, at the time, I had a personal rule for myself because I was a little bit of a self-help junkie. Mm. And so I had I was buying and reading a lot of self-help books. So I had a personal rule for myself that I did at least one thing in every book that I read. So as I'm reading this ridiculous book that I was embarrassed to even own, mm. the least ridiculous thing I could find in it was... It was a process called scripting, and it was how to speak about what you want as if you already had it, and then watch it happen. And it, it that sounds crazy in itself, but trust me, it was the least insane thing in the book. So I did it. I did it, and I did it when I was at a very dark period in my life. You said briefly, so I'll speed this story up. Where- no, 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 don't be brief. I'm just, just, just so that I don't um, go down a rabbit hole, because I often do, and then I lose complete track of where, where I'm going anyway. So, no, I'm fascinated. Keep going. This was, this was the experience that changed everything for me. I'd been a seeker for so many years, and once I did this, it changed everything. So, I, at the time, I had just had, a, I like to think of it as my first and only nervous breakdown where I had, I was a foster mom and I had a lot of big dogs and I was on a dry streak for adoptions. My fellow rescue people had said they'd never seen a dry streak like they'd seen with me, meaning I was getting more animals in than were going out. And um, it it was wearing on me to say the least. And plus, you know, I was in a dead end relationship. I hated my job. It was, it was just a lot. It was a lot of unpleasantness in life in general. And so when I read the book, oh, oh, so yeah, I had a little nervous breakdown in the backyard and I went to bed. I just went to bed and uh, a lot of my stress had been all of the foster dogs. I had a very small house and I had a lot of big dogs and no one was getting adopted. So in my frustration, I went to bed and that's where I actually read the book because I didn't have anything else to read and I wasn't going anywhere because I was done with life. So I read the book. I had the rule. I decided I would do the scripting thing. I came out of the bedroom to my boyfriend who was in the kitchen feeding dogs. He, he was on animal duty solo because I had given up, so he had to do everything himself. I came out and I said, isn't it great how we had a husky named Jeff. He was our most difficult dog. I did not name him that. <laughs> <laughs> he was our most challenging dog. I said, isn't it great how Jeff got adopted by that husband and wife with the two kids, I was just making it up on the fly. Yeah, And they live nearby so we could see him whenever we want and they have plenty of money so they could meet all his medical needs. Yeah, isn't that great? And in the meantime, Jeff is laying at my feet while I'm saying this and I had not given my boyfriend any preface. So he looked at me like I had two heads and I didn't care, I was beyond caring. I turned around, I went back to bed. That was Thursday night, Saturday morning. I'm still having my nervous breakdown in the bedroom. I'm still doing nothing. So he takes all the animals to the adoption care that they'd been going to for three months. 
And he came home. And as soon as he came home, the phone rang. Oh, and the only reason they call that soon is because either your animal is sick and they're telling yeah. you to come get him or you're, he's acting up, he's barking or fighting. They're telling you to come get him or they don't have room and they're telling you, come get him. And, and I said, do not answer the phone because they, we needed them to be there all weekend. We needed to get someone adopted. And he was a nice guy, though. He said, if there's a problem, we need to know about it. He answered the phone and I was standing next to him and I could hear the person who ran the adoption fair on the other end of the line. Gemma, I cry every time I tell the story, no matter how many times I've told oh. it. I cry every time I heard her say, you've got to get down here right now. And as soon as she said that, I hit him in the shoulder because I was right. <laughs> and she said, there's two couples fighting over Jeff and we don't know who to give him to. Wow. Okay. That, first of all, never happens that you get within that quick, in that short a time, two people with applications and she can't distinguish who the best. It's, it's unheard of. It's okay. absolutely unheard of. Uh-huh. So, Anyway, we went down there. Sure enough, she was right. These Both of these couples were insistent on having this dog that no one gave a second look to in the three months prior that he'd been going to adoption fairs. And they were both perfect. Wow. I couldn't tell the better one either. I, I didn't even say a word. I handed the paperwork back. I walked out to the car. I sat in the parking lot because I... It blew my mind. Like I, I was, what happened here? It blew my mind. And I went back home and I read that book again saying, okay, she might not be so crazy after all. <laughs> and was it the husband and wife couple from down the road who could meet his medical bills? Oh, they were both, both of them, both, both of them, exactly husband and wife that. with two kids. They had a dog for him to play with. They were both well off. They were both close. They were both close by. It right. was this... Like universe delivered double. <laughs> it was wow. insane. Not only did Jeff get adopted that day, then our Springer Spaniel got adopted the next day. And then on Tuesday, a local rescue group took two black lab puppies off my hands. I was down four dogs in four days and it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. Well, that okay. That's an incredible story. And I love that story. But it got my talk, attention. It got, okay, it got your attention. You're talking about you had a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. You were obviously able to receive that, and it obviously you turned know, you around because having a nervous breakdown, it's you know, it's dark. A, yeah, yeah. It so was did, dark. Did you did you turn around because you suddenly thought I, I can think differently about my life? I can. It was feel not sudden. About no. my life. Okay. It was not sudden. It. But what? How, here's what I how I've heard it described since then is that when you're in a really dark place, just a little crack of allowing can feel like a miracle. Um, the analogy that I've heard used before is with the rubber band, the further that you pull back on it, the, the more it flies when you let go. And my rubber band had been stretched. So just a little crack of allowing, because through all of this contrast, I'd been asking, asking, asking for relief, but I wasn't allowing any of it based on my vibration. And just that little half-hearted script cracked the door open enough for universe to send in solutions and answers, not just for Jeff, but for some other animals as well. It just, it, it just blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. And did you, did you doubt it? Or no. Did, were, you, were you, right, okay. So you went, did you go gently with it? Uh, it, it freaked me out. I'm going to be honest. It freaked yeah. me out to, to think, what is this power? What is this? So I studied up on it for a year before I played with it again. Can you believe that? I mean, I, it scared me. Uh, there was not a lot to read back then, not like there is now. This was before Ask and It Is Given. It was before The Secret. Uh, yeah, so but there was um, who, who wrote um, oh, Keys to the Vault? That was in the 40s, wasn't it? 40s Charles, and 50s. the Master Keys, the Charles Honnell, I think. Anyway, yeah, there were a lot of new thought authors, but I was unfamiliar with them. I did not know about them. I didn't know about Seth material. I, look, I was raised in a very conservative Christian uh, culture. Uh, that was that was stuff that was well beyond me. Um, but but I I'll tell you what, I got open minded through this. I got open minded, and in the search, <laughs> there I was. It wasn't long before I found Lynn Grabhorn's "Excuse Me, Your Life Is Waiting," oh, and Lynn Grabhorn's. Yeah, her work is really based on what she learned from Abraham. So I thought, go straight to the source, even though it was channeled. And then that freaked me out a little bit once upon a time. 
the the material, the information resonated so strongly that no, I never doubted this, but I will admit it scared me. It was a while before I was willing. You want to hear something hilarious, Gemma? Yeah. So my boyfriend, who did not read the book and I had not explained anything to, all he saw was that I had scripted about Jeff getting adopted and the next day Jeff got adopted. Mm-hmm. I had no conversation with him about what was going on. And then, and then a weird thing started happening. Okay, so once I got, had a few dogs, I thought, okay, adopted. I thought, okay, maybe I'll live after all. <laughs> maybe I'm done with my nervous breakdown. I went back to work. Okay. Uh, and I went back to work and a strange thing happened. I was coming home at noon for sex with my boyfriend. It was morning, literally morning, noon, and night. And trust me, that had not been our routine before. <laughs> I, all of a sudden, I'm like, I can't get enough of this guy. I, it, I took the bus to work. I had to take the bus home. And it was my own idea. It wasn't like he was... It was my own, I thought it was my own inspiration. Oh, guess what? It turns out that guy took a little note from my experience on, and he started scripting fabulous, abundant sex with me. Did he? Did he? Well, and that freaked me out too, because I thought, what is this power? What is going on here? What is going on here? So I told him to stop. (laughs) I said, I know what you're doing and you better stop, which seemed like in hindsight, a ridiculous thing, Jeanette. Come on. But I just didn't like the idea that I wasn't in charge of myself. It freaked me out a little bit. So I've learned a lot since then. And that was really pivotal. This was a long answer to your question about how did I heal my relationship with food through studying what was going on with our powers to create reality. I understood a a new, I, I embraced new ideas about food and its role in my world. Oh, I'm with you because... In the 90s, when I was dealing with lots of my eating disorder behaviours, I read the Seth books. And there's a very famous book in London on Cecil, gosh, I'm going to forget the name now, Cecil Street, Cecil Court. It's called Watkins Bookshop. I think it's still there. And it's full of, downstairs is lots of esoteric philosophical secondhand books. And I pulled one of Seth's books out. And Seth was, um, again, is channeled information by Jane Roberts in the 60s. And it's dense metaphysical material, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. extremely, I mean, there's, there are volume after volume of Seth, mm-hmm. uh, Seth information and, um, and channels. And it really got me through. It gave me a completely different aspect and completely wow. different view on life and why we're here, what we're doing, what I was mm. doing, what I was doing with my behaviors, what was really going on. And I just, I consumed, and I I use that word, I consumed that information because nothing else was, even though I was having therapy and that was fabulous, it was, it was very much of this, you know, physical plane and I wanted something a bit extra and that certainly gave me that. We're just going to take a quick break. Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Jeanette Moore. You've just been eulogising about the joys of channeled information because it makes so much sense. Jeanette said that when she first came into contact with channeled information, she was fearful, not sceptical, fearful. And then she had some pretty amazing evidence and she left it for a year and then she had more evidence. And I asked her in the break, and that's what we're going to talk about now. It's like, what, what sort of turned you around, Jeanette? What enabled you to let go of your fear and to sort of drop your cynical eyebrow and think, actually, this this makes sense for, for how I'm going to live my life. You know, yeah. So, I, you know, I was never cynical. I was never skeptical, but but I was nervous that I would wield this power in inappropriate ways. I didn't understand it. And it was by researching, by reading everything I could find about it, which I look, I never, I couldn't make it through Seth material. It just, that, that was not, even after I've studied this stuff more, Seth material just doesn't resonate with me. Oh, doesn't but, it? Okay. No, but I found, I found material that did. And it was by, oh, Lynn Grabhorn was, was one introduction that was helpful. She, cause she spoke so practically about it that yeah. it didn't feel very woo woo. It didn't feel scary. Yeah. It didn't feel witchy, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but but the, after studying it and then experimenting more in different ways, 
it just became clear that I was onto something for all the years that I had spent searching for, for how things worked and what could make it better. My search really felt like it was complete once I learned about conscious creation. Did you, can I interrupt you? Did you start just on a personal note, did you start with how you felt about yourself and your relationship with yourself? I wish I had. Ah, you went out there. I didn't go there till last. You know where I went first? (laughs) I went where the pressures were most in my world and that was work. Okay. So, so bringing it to work. I, first of all, hello, I started using it on animals. Getting them adopted was amazing. And then, and then how to not run into so many animals who needed help because I realized I was creating that too. My perspective on the world that, that, uh, people weren't doing right by animals and that so many needed help is why I kept running into animals who needed help. Yeah. So once I changed that perspective, shifted that story, I had a different experience. Um, but uh, one of my other really, this is what made me realize that I could quit this job that I didn't love. I had heard about prey rain journaling. It's where you write a page a day about what you want as if you already had it. It's like the version of scripting, except you do it in writing. And the way I had learned it was that if you write a page a day about what you want as if you already had it, by the time you get to the end of your book, you'll have it. Or it'll be so close you can reach out and touch it. I had heard about it, but I had never practiced it. And then uh, one day at work, I was in sales, and the sales manager called all the sales team together and said, um, hey, our numbers are bad enough that if we don't turn them around in like two weeks, they're pulling the plug on the department. Like the whole department, they were just going to undo it. Wow. And that was not fabulous news for any of us. So I went back to my desk after that and I thought, wow, what they've been having us do hasn't been working. They'd had us doing all the things you're supposed to do. You cold call and read scripts and set appointments and go out on with presentations. Okay. None of that was working. So I thought clearly their routine isn't effective. What do I want to do? And I thought of prey rain journaling. I got out a little, cause I didn't have much time. So I got a little book. It wasn't a proper journal. It was just a little notepad, like two by three inches, 88 cents. And uh, I opened it to the first page and I wrote down, how amazing it is that prospects find me, how delighted they are to hear about my product, what great rapport we have, what a perfect match my product is for their needs, how swift the implementation is. And I only got like six sentences on because it was a very small page, but I did exactly like they say to do, write about it as if it had already happened. So I, I, after I finished making that entry, I asked myself, what sounds good next? And the answer was go to lunch, which felt really luxurious because I, we'd been under so much pressure that I'd been eating out of the vending machine for the four months I'd been on the job. And so to leave the building, to go have a proper lunch, oh, it was lovely. And I took my time with it. It wasn't just a quick grab a bite and then come back. I had, I lingered. I went to my favorite Greek place across the street. It was a gorgeous spring day outside. I kicked my feet up on an extra chair. I mean, I I was gone for an hour and a half (laughs) because that's what, and it felt so much better than the ridiculous routine of make as many phone calls as you can and log what you, it felt so much better. And then after I had finished feeding my pita bread to the sparrows, I asked myself, what sounds good next? And the answer was go back to work, which kind of surprised me, but I went back to work and it was in the elevator on the way up. There was a guy in the elevator who um, asked me who I was. I told him and he asked what I did. And I told him I I worked for a bank and I was in the bank building where everyone in this building works for the bank. So I figured he must be like a high up manager, someone who's just, you know, asking me who I am, like he should know. Oh my gosh. And I forgot to tell you, Gemma, a couple weeks prior, I'd been in the elevator with some strange men and I asked some of them who they were. One of them was the president of the company, the president. Oh my gosh, Jeanette, of all the people to know, you should know who the, uh, so I'm never asked anyone again who they were. Okay. So, so here's this guy asking me who I was and I told him and he asked what I did. He says, I know all the people at the bank. What do you do? Cause he didn't recognize my name. And I told him about my product. I said, I sell uh, 401k plans for small businesses. And he said, he, he was surprised to hear it. He said, follow me. 
And I thought, oh, great. This is some upper manager at the bank who didn't even know that the bank had this product. And this is part of why we've had trouble selling it because everyone at the bank doesn't even know about it. So I follow him to his office thinking I'm going to have to explain to him about this product that the bank has that he wasn't aware of. I follow him to his office. He does not work for the bank. I did not realize there was office space rented out to other companies in the building, but apparently there was. Actually, this was the property manager of the building. Uh, no, he was not a bank employee. He he shows me his desk. It is covered. It is littered with sales literature from 401k vendors. And he says to me, I haven't been able to make heads or tails of this in weeks. Can you help me? Wow. And I w- can I help him? I had my satchel with me. I had my material right there. And I loved to talk about plans, 401k plans. It was, I had joy for this. So for 15 minutes, I, I, and here's all my competitors right here. I could tell him everything he needed to know about everyone. It was a lovely conversation for about 15 minutes. Yeah. And then he stood up and he said, I, when he stood up, I thought he was going to walk me back to the elevators. My fun was over. I had to go back to work now. But he didn't walk me to the elevators. He walked me down his hall to his office, to his HR director. He said, Shelly, meet Jeanette. Jeanette, meet Shelly. And he turned to Shelly and he said, "Um, sign whatever she needs you to sign. She's going to be implementing our new 401k plan for us. I mean, I didn't even have to make a presentation. I didn't have to give him a a formal quote. It was like that. I'll tell you what, when I got back down to my desk after that, I realized, Jeanette, you could do this for yourself too. <laughs> you can follow your dream to be a law of attraction coach. So ta-da. Ah. This, it, it, this is how I started to under, it was just by practicing with it. The proof in the experiences, in the experiments over and over and over again showed me that we're creating our own reality based on what we think and feel and believe and expect. Did it run away with you? Did you have lots of success? And then did you have a bit of a bump in the road? I mean, the bumps in my road have always been managing fear, like when I finally quit that job. And uh, when I quit that job, I had a lot of financial fear that it wouldn't work as a coach because I went through a coach training program. And one of the things they had taught us was that most of you are likely to fail. The few of you who succeed, uh, and there won't be many of you, but the few of you who do, you aren't likely to make more than 30, 30 grand a year. So if you need to make more money than that, don't quit your day job. So really? I had a belief, <laughs> even though I understood the power of beliefs, these were the experts who, who told me that this is how it is. And I didn't question it. So I believed that this could be tricky. It might not work. You shouldn't quit your job, but I did quit my job. So I had a lot, a lot of fear. Th- those were the bumps in my road was managing those gremlin thoughts, that inner critic voice that that was just been programmed through life saying you better watch out or you can't do it or who do you think you are you know all sorts of mean things that can derail what we desire if we don't learn how to put that in check and how how and you i know we we all still have critical inner voices and yes. gremlins there's mm. so more so depending on the situation we have more of a handle on it hopefully as we get older um I certainly do. How do you, how did you, and how do you deal with that critical voice and that internal dialogue? Because that's where it's at. That's the engine, it room, is. isn't it? It is. I, I, I really feel like a, a lot of people, first of all, aren't aware. So the awareness is the, the first step to recognize that this is not truth that you are hearing mm-hmm. and you can question it. It's just a habit of doubting oneself or, or fearing what might happen when we recognize that it's just a habit and we can change that habit. And in fact, if we don't, that's how our whole lives will go because Mm -hmm. we will never create circumstances in which that voice is quieted. It never, you can never make enough money or never find enough love or get enough approval from others in order to quiet that voice that has, that's our job. It doesn't happen by anything that's happening externally. So through practice of being willing to recognize it when it's speaking and then choose differently. And the more we practice that, the more we we make room for the voice of love and the voice of trust and the voice of the thoughts of well-being and acceptance and everything else that's the opposite of those gremlin voices, the, the more we program ourselves with kind and loving self-talk. So it was just through practice And that practice continues. I don't know anyone who's mastered it. I don't know. Maybe the Dalai Lama has, maybe Byron Katie, maybe Eckhart Tolle, but Mm -hmm. 
But for mm -hmm. most of us, I think it's an ongoing project to continually recognize when that inner critic is speaking to us and then be willing to speak something that feels more true. Do you see it like a meditation practice, the commitment to it, or like an art form that you become skilled and adept I hate to say this, but with? meditation has always been like a four-letter word for me. I've never been a giant fan of it. No, um, I, me I meant the... Um, I meant creating the space. I know that you don't like meditation. I, I meant creating the space for it and the yes, the respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I got some inspiration from Jack Canfield, who had recommended a practice of, look, he said, at the end of the night, as you're brushing your teeth, look yourself eye to eye in the mirror and say a couple nice things to yourself the same way you would right. to one of your kids or a valued employee. Just say a couple nice things in the mirror every night before you go to bed. Jack Canfield said that when he did that, within 40 days, nights of that practice, his negative self-talk disappeared. That's a pretty powerful testimonial for the practice. So um, I started that myself and I've never made it to full 40 days. Uh, I always get interrupted either, you know, sleeping over at a boyfriend's house and <clears throat> cut too self-conscious to, to uh, do it in front of someone else. Uh, it's been a while since I picked up that practice, but it was transformational. That habit of just being willing to regularly say some nice things instead of just let that that negative voice run rampant really can change some of those habits. Is that what you do in relation to your thoughts around your, your body or if you have issues around yes. your body or your relationship with food? Yes, I, I really wish I had gone there first, but for, no, where I went was work and money and relationships. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't turn this power to myself until it feels like last. And that feels really irresponsible. Why wouldn't I have started there first? But I didn't understand the importance of self-love. I thought I just learned how to manifest some cool stuff. Yeah. I didn't understand that the whole key to all of this is, is just a return to love. <laughs> so yes, I, when I recognized that many of the thoughts I was thinking about food and my body were creating exactly what I didn't want, I learned how to change those thoughts. Can you I give also us a little learned example. From, um, like, oh, those critical things. Oh, look at this. Uh, don't you love? It's gonna be. It's gonna take a second for me to remember some of the negative talk about my body because I have, I've really worked. I mean, I, I, I was so self-critical. So I know most women in America are. I'm certainly not unusual, but wow, I was so hard on myself. I and I had no reason to be. I was. I, I, I mean, looking back, I was just, I had everything going for me and I would find ridiculous things to criticize myself for, like a mole on the inside of my left leg. That was my greatest desire was that somehow, some way I could figure out how to get rid of this mole Wow. or that, I, you know, my hair was never the way I wanted it to be or I, I mean, just ridiculous, ridiculous things. So how um, did you turn it around then? What how, what do you do? So you say, if you're someone who says, my hair always looks bad in the morning, how do you turn that around? Well, there are a variety of ways to go about it. But what worked well for me was find something that you can appreciate. I don't want to try to force myself to appreciate the thing that I'm detesting. Because over time, look, those critical thoughts, I remember being a... I, when I had a corporate job, the way I made friends with the other girls in the office was I would join them for lunch and the lunchtime topic was always criticizing our bodies. It was what they were eating. They were having this food and they were having this much of it because they were trying to lose this weight. And, and, and I would join in those conversations despite the fact that I was literally built like... I, you, it couldn't have been any better. You could yeah. not ask, you, I could not have asked God for more than what I got in this body. And yet I would join in those conversations and they would, they were not appreciative of that. They were, because they would look at me and think, she has no room to talk. And I would say, oh, you don't know. You don't know what's going on here underneath these clothes. And I would talk about cellulite that I didn't have. Right. Because I thought they can't see it. But I spoke about it enough. Guess what? Eventually, my husband pointed out to me, I had some cellulite. I said, what? I was horrified. What? <laughs> okay. That was before I was LOA savvy. But just looking back, I could understand how speaking something can make it so. So when I was speaking things, when I was speaking criticism to my body, 
I was making it so, and I started speaking nicer things. I started on the things that were easier to appreciate rather than expecting myself to believe something that most clearly wasn't true. Just find something that I could appreciate. And I have always had a couple of things. I have pretty eyes. I have nice lips. My parents sent me to the dentist. I've got nice teeth. So I would just find some nice things that I could appreciate and then that would expand. As we start wherever we can, if we keep up with that practice, it expands into other areas. That's how we grow self-love. And being able to do that on the physical self, as well as who we are as a person, was it was a process. It was a long process. I'm still doing it to this day. It isn't something that I ever feel like any of us are done with. We're going to take a little break in a moment. But if you can't find something about your body, supposing you're so used to chastising and criticising your physical self, can you go, well, I really like the way the light comes in the window. Yes. As you say that. Yes, take it off your body. Absolutely. Just find something to appreciate in life. So then your feeling changes, doesn't it? Your state instantly changes. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit more. We're just going to take a quick break. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. Hurrah, I got the name right. I'm here with the delightful Jeanette Moore. We've got a few technical issues going on here. So we finished at the point of, it's not actually about the story. And I've been writing about this in our Creative Recovery Accelerator video series. I have to keep mentioning it. Chloe keeps telling me to mention it. <laughs> and uh, there you go, Chloe. Um, it's not about the story. It's about the feelings because we live in a life is about emotions and feelings it's an experiential life it's emotion drives everything emotion drives the the stock market so it's about our feelings so it's to get to the the feeling state as in the light coming in through the window you could then maybe say something positive about your body if you hadn't been able to or about food or about whatever you want to change and it it rides, it bounces on that glides on that feeling doesn't it that you have when the light comes in the window and then you might go oh I like my toes do you see what I mean? I do. I do. And and that can be a really helpful way for someone to ease themselves into a practice of feeling better about themselves. But one way or another, that's what we're shooting for, how to feel better about ourselves and our lives. What happens when, because I can imagine people saying, well, look, you know, there's, we're at war and people are starving and millions and millions of people are dislocated across the world and terrible things happen. You know, that's the normal counter argument, isn't it? That's the argument that I'm sure you yep. come up against. And it's a valid one. Yeah. Someone could someone could go with that. And if that feels better, then I would be a fan of it. If it does not feel better, I would suggest finding a thought that, well, this is Abraham's suggestion, not mine. It's the suggestion of everyone who teaches conscious creation or manifesting or law of attraction. Find a thought that feels better. And when I focus on something that doesn't feel good, mm. that's a sign. I am headed in a direction with my life that where I'm not going to like where this takes me. When I find a thought that feels better, I'm headed in a better direction. So the work is just continually find a thought that feels better. So when I focus on what doesn't feel good, when I recognize this does not feel good, I use that as a, my inspiration to look for something that feels better. And as I reach around and practice until I find something that feels better, I, I was doing this this morning. I have a, um, there was a, a feral cat who found his way into a, a, a room that I keep for my ferals. He, he's some, anyway, there's a strange cat yeah. in my basement with an injury and getting a feral cat to a vet is not easy, especially when he would, he would hobble out the window every time I tried to approach him. So catching him wasn't going to be easy. I finally got some help in doing so. I got him to the vet and, ooh, was that guy mad? He was so, so mad at me. He was so mad that I was afraid he would just leave with the first chance I gave him to go out the window again, even though he was still in recovering. I was afraid he would leave. And we're in deep winter here. I mean, there's four feet of snow in our area. It's not a good time for a cat to be on his own, not feeling fabulous. And... And I was entertaining the worried thoughts about him. I was worried that I was just, I was just, I entertained a wide variety of worries, imagining what I've done wrong, what will go wrong. 
And when I recognized these thoughts don't feel good, the thought that felt better was, I'm doing the best I can. This mm -hmm. felt better than doing nothing. I can trust him to find his own way through the world. This is just me reaching around, trying to find thoughts yeah. that feel better yeah. in order to allow, because I know the power of my thoughts are creating my reality. So if I keep thinking something that doesn't feel good just because it seems true, I know I'm not creating a reality that I prefer. When I find some sort of thought that feels better, and it can just be a softer one about reality, or it can be... It could, it could be completely made up. Anything that feels better is an improvement over the thought that doesn't. And that's what the work is, one after another after another. Yes, and, and that's what I meant about it being a practice. and Yeah, it for sure a constant. is. I'm also thinking about, uh, you know, extreme situations of grief where you don't, where you're not in a, you're not lost in your thoughts, you're, you're caught in your emotions and... I know that when I was reading about all this stuff years ago, I used to get confused because I, I would end up denying my feelings or repressing my mm. feelings because I'd be mm -hmm. going, no, 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 think about something better. And I'd, I'd misinterpreted it, you know, I'd misunderstood it because that, it's about allowance and acceptance. It, and It's true. What we resist persists. And the reason that's so is because when I'm resisting it, I'm still engaging it. I'm still, I'm pushing against it, but, but it's engaged, it's activated, and that's what I'm creating. So to allow ourselves, this is an important thing in, with conscious creators too, because they think, oh, never think a negative thought again. The truth is it works. We, we've our feelings are for feeling. And when we resist them, they get stuck. When we allow ourselves to feel them, they process and they complete. So when we're willing to be present to whatever we feel, yeah. it completes itself very quickly, just like happiness does. We never get stuck in happiness because we don't resist it. So, so when we allow ourselves to feel whatever it is, and then that clears the slate so it is easier to find the thought that feels better after that, and um, the, the whole process works much better. Abraham teaches that our feelings, our emotions, are an indicator from our guidance system as to when we have deviated from our inner wisdom. Because there's a part of us that is connected to source energy or God, whatever you want to call it, that, that knows the truth, that when we think something contrary to that, it feels bad. And when we think something that that is the same way source sees it, in fact, that was one of the ways I practiced self-love was when I couldn't see anything positive, I practiced seeing it through the eyes of love. And I used two, well, three. Mm. One was my boyfriend. I had a, my boyfriend, they, they had nice things to say. And I just practiced, what does he see that I'm not seeing? Okay. What, what does he see? How can he think that? How can he believe that? And I practiced his perspective enough. I started to see it. I also practiced seeing it through the eyes of source, through God. How does God see me? That was way better than I was seeing myself. And also, how does my dog see me? Because my dog thinks I'm amazing. <laughs> you know, so practicing through the eyes of, of someone who sees it differently was actually one of my self-love practices that helped me change my the trajectory of thought about myself. What's a good... Um... What's a good, better thought? I'm just going to think of some thoughts now that we have. And you can better them. What's a good one for a self-doubt that you're, you know, you're, you're swanning along, things are great, and suddenly I, you get that feeling of like... Ah, I can do hard things. Real. I've done hard things before. Not everyone likes the word hard things, but that one works for me sometimes. I can do hard things. And I think back, I have done some hard things in my life. I've done some hard things. That's an, and empowerment and confidence is restored when I remember, of course I can. And what of about, course I can. What about, I don't believe this, this isn't working? Um, well, it depends on what I'm thinking about. I mean, what is it? Tr Maybe it's true this isn't working. Maybe it requires a different approach. Maybe it's called for me to shake it up in some way. I mean... Maybe, maybe that thought is what feels better, is to abandon the thing that hasn't been working and make space for something else. And what about people who... Uh, just throw a bit of a curveball at you, Jeanette. What about people who are suffering um, from, well, let's say, like bipolar or uh, extreme mental confusion and upset? There's so many modalities that would say so many different things. If someone's right in it... Oh, you know, I'm coach trained formally uh, in a couple different ways. And we got one answer for that. Get professional help. Th yeah. That's definitely above my pay grade. Yeah. Definitely above my pay grade. 
And having said that, um, yeah, I'm not qualified. This, yeah, it would be irresponsible for me to attempt to even. Not my specialty. Okay, okay. Because we curveball. Are- that was that was a curveball, <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> I'm sure it will come right back at me. I've got thoughts minutes. on it. It just wouldn't be responsible for me to share them. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also, you know, it depends. It depends on how you view these. You can either view something like bipolar, or let's talk about the word depression and I'm putting it in quotation oh, yeah. marks you can view it the Buddhists view it differently the uh, Christians view it differently the psychological community view it differently the pharmacological yeah. view, you know community yeah. view it differently everyone has a different take on it but what yeah. seems to underpin everything that works is this source of love that that's your that's the bedrock that's where we are all, yeah. what we're all seeking, wanting. That's where we all come from. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're made of. It sounds very Pollyanna, but that's what I believe, you know. I think the more we learn about ourselves, the more we, we realize the truth of that. Yeah, and practicing it is challenging because it's, it's it much challenging, but also so rewarding. It yeah. feels so much better to start to approve of ourselves rather than to try to contort ourselves or our lives into some form that we can finally approve of, but to just be willing to love ourselves unconditionally right here, right now. It is such a relief. Oh, it is such a relief. Because, and also the more that you, the more that you're healed with your relationship with yourself and the more healthy and well you are, so you bring up everyone else around you. Don't you? It's true. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's like giving others permission to thrive too. You know, it, it's a, it is a really refreshing thing to run across someone who likes themselves. Yeah. You know, and not in a cocky, arrogant way, but in a genuine way, it's, it's just really refreshing to run across. Yeah. And you can feel those people when they walk in a room. You can see it. You can see it in mm. them. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes that's how I've practiced it myself. I imagine how those people feel. <laughs> like I, I, I've I practiced it recently. I, I've sort of channeled someone and I wasn't thinking of anyone in particular, but just, you know, what you've met, I've met those people before. And I imagine how do they think about themselves? What do they think when they look in the mirror? What do they think about what they're eating and drinking? And that can be a, a way to access it as well. And so to be that example for someone else in the world is it's a, it's a gift to give others as well as ourselves. Before we wrap up, can you just give me a couple of positive things that someone could say about food? Mm. My favorite thing I learned from Abraham, this, this won't resonate with everyone, but for those who it does, this can be a game changer. I learned from Abraham that it, and, the, and our, our science has proven these things. Yeah. Okay, you said wrap up, so we won't talk no, no, about no, this No, 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 you can keep going. So Abraham says it doesn't matter what you eat. It matters what you think about what you eat. Mm-hmm. And they've done studies where they label the shakes, like they'll have the one shake, they label it as a dessert shake, like fruit shake. And, and they label the other one as a health shake. It's the exact same content. And they have different groups, groups of people have this food and they are measuring how their bodies respond to it, let alone. Yeah. It's just mind boggling what our, what, what's happening in our minds about and how that affects our bodies. So when Abraham teaches that it doesn't matter what you eat, it matters how you feel about what you eat and drink, their advice is the best diet we would recommend to anyone is just feel good about whatever you eat, whatever you choose to eat. If you can feel good about it before, during, and after, then it is good for you. Okay, that sounds easier said than done because someone thinks, oh, well, then I could eat whatever I want. Well, if you have been highly trained that ice cream is not good for you or too many Oreo cookies is bad, then then you're probably not going to feel good about it. You might feel guilty. You might feel regretful. Or your body just might not plain feel good. Like you might not physically feel good after eating the thing that you think you you, you would. Want, but yeah. But that also goes for the healthy things, the things that you think you're supposed to be eating. I personally am not a fan of broccoli. I do not enjoy eating broccoli. <laughs> so I, it's not something I expect to be good for me because if I'm eating something because 
someone told me that I should, but I'm not enjoying it. It's the enjoyment that makes the difference in how my body receives whatever the inputs are. It's the enjoyment. So finding my own personal, and this is no one else can tell me, this is something I have to find for myself based on my beliefs and based on my preferences. Uh, my, I'm the only one who can tell me what I can enjoy before, during, and after. And when I remember that that's enough, that helps me quell any of those old thoughts about how that was a lot of calories or that's too much cholesterol or whatever mm -hmm. those old judgy voices want to say about it. And can you, can you sum up conscious creation, conscious manifestation in like a kind of pitch yes. line? Here, here we go. Thoughts become things. Yeah. That's what Mike Dooley says. Yeah, Thoughts yeah. become things. But I just finished reading a book by Prentice Mulford, who was lecturing in the late 1800s. He wrote a book called Thoughts Are Things. That's conscious creation summed up as succinctly as I can imagine. Amazing. And Mike Dooley, um, good vibe. No, not good vibe. What does he do? He sends out these... notes from the universe. Notes from the His universe. notes from the universe. <gasps> about self-love sign up for mike dooley's notes from the universe at tut.com tut.com yeah it's like a message written from the universe it just always it's reminders of of love and perfection and also your ability to create your reality and it's free and you get one every day don't you monday to friday yeah. it's lovely yeah okay before you go thank you so much but the other pivotal question two questions for the podcast episodes what if you were going to an island any kind of island, any kind of climate, you have a store cupboard, what five foods would you take with you? Five foods? Mm -hmm. Can I, is it a food or is it a drink? Because I am such a fan of kombucha. Okay, take kombucha. That's number one. Okay, my refrigerated kombucha. In fact, when I was house shopping up here, when they had my flavor, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny town, one little market. And when I saw my brand, my flavor of kombucha, I knew, I took it as a sign. I was meant to live here. Okay, so kombucha... <laughs> It would be hard to get otherwise. It's a long drive to a grocery Number store. Number two. <laughs> um, mm, 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 mm. I'm a fan of food, Gemma. This is a tough question. I, there's so much I really, really enjoy. You can change your mind tomorrow, but now you've got to focus. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to press stop. I'm going to kombucha, 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 kombucha. Jeanette is taking five cans or bottles of kombucha <laughs> to her island because she's not playing the game properly. I'm, a, I'm also, look, I, I love, I love spinach and berries. Like whether I have, a, a, whether I'm putting berries on my cereal or a spinach shake with the fruit. Oh my gosh. I, I really love that. My body loves it. I thrive on it. I feel fabulous on it. So that would be there too. Okay. That, I'm also that. a giant fan of dove chocolate. Right. I go through different chocolate phases, but currently I'm on a dove chocolate where I really am a fan. Okay. You've done five. God, that was the most painful. It's <laughs> been with a guest. We're going to I'm a Libra. It's so hard for us to decide. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on Love This Food Thing podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Gemma. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Love This Food Thing, or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.